Chapter eighteen of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter eighteen. Stormy Weather. From the hall, Ruth went directly to inquire as to Seraph's condition and found work for mind and hands. The girl was in a burning fever, her whole frame racked with an incessant cough, and she lay with both hands pressed to throbbing temples. It was evident, even to Ruth's inexperienced eyes, that she was seriously ill, and that much valuable time had probably been already lost. She dispatched a special messenger at once for Dr. Westwood, and busied herself until his arrival in using what remedies or alleviations she could think of. He came sooner than she had dared to hope, her messenger having found him on the road. He at once made it evident that he did not consider himself as having been called a moment too soon, and for the next hour Ruth was absorbed in arranging to have his minute instructions carried out. He was so manifestly planning for a very serious fight with disease that she was solemnized by the thought, and for the time being all minor matters were laid aside. The speed with which a well-ordered house can accommodate itself to a change of circumstances would make an interesting study for the curious. Before noon of that busy day, a large back room which had a southern exposure, and was not so crowded with dainty furnishings as were the young ladies' rooms, had been, under the doctor's supervision, prepared for the sick girl, and she had been carried there and a professional nurse installed. The lady of the house drew a long breath of relief as she came slowly down the stairs, having received the final directions of the tall, quiet, self-sufficient young woman who had swiftly obeyed the doctor's summons and had laid aside her things with the air of one who had always belonged just in that room. Ruth had the feeling that she had been dismissed. It brought with it a sense of relief. The responsibility was lifted from her shoulders. It brought with it also a touch of pain, recalling as it did the grave facts of her life, if she were in truth the mother of that sick girl, or if she held in her heart the place which some second mothers won, no hired nurse could possibly supersede her there. As it was, and then the touch of pain came again. Meantime, there were other things to think about. Where was Minta, and how was this distressing phase of their life to end? She believed she knew the girl better than the husband did. She by no means expected a quiet yielding to his commands, but just what form the rebellion would take would depend, probably, on what advice she received from Mr. Hamlin. And then Ruth thought with a sudden start of dismay that in her anxiety and preoccupation there had been opportunity for plenty of communication between the two. Now that she stopped to think of it, it was strange that in all the arrangements for Seraph's comfort her sister had taken no part. She went hurriedly to her room and knocked, wondering the while what excuse she should make for intruding, but no answer was returned to her knock. She went to the parlors to find them deserted. In the music room, Kate was dusting. "'Do you know where I can find Miss Minta?' Ruth asked, trying to keep her voice as usual. "'She has gone out, ma'am. She went several hours ago.' "'Was she alone?' The tone was hurried, and an eager quiver of anxiety showed in the voice. "'Yes'm, she was alone when she left the house. She told me that she would probably not be in to lunch. I told her the doctor was here, 
and that Miss Seraph was pretty sick, and she said yes, she knew it. I thought perhaps she was going on some errand for Miss Seraph. Probably that is the case, Ruth said, turning away with a startled fear, nevertheless, that it might not be. For the rest of the day she tormented herself with a hundred nameless fears and wonderings. What ought she to do? Was it important that Judge Burnham should know of the girl's absence? Should she telephone him? But how absurd to send him a message that Minta had gone out for a walk! How insulting to the girl, if she had really gone, as Kate surmised, on some business for the sick sister! It would not do to telephone anything like that. Perhaps she might go herself into town and give her message in person. But it was not probable that Judge Burnham would be in his office. He had hinted of business that involved others. She did not know where to look for him, and when, with much trouble, she found him, what had she to say but that his daughter was very sick, and she had left her with hired attendants only, while she came to tell him that the other daughter was out walking? Such a course was not to be thought of. Well, then, suppose she wrote him a note and sent it by a special messenger. And then she had visions of the messenger going from office to courtroom, to the offices of brother lawyers, asking many questions, following the busy man from point to point, coming upon him perhaps in the midst of his most distracting anxieties, interrupting him with a note which had simply to tell that Minta had gone out, leaving word that she might not be back to luncheon. The whole thing began to look absurd to her, and as, later in the day, Seraph grew worse, rather than better, and the professional nurse was glad to have her to hand this thing and remove that, she put aside the other anxiety and gave herself to helpfulness. Nobody lunched, finally, except Erskine and the nurse. It was drawing near to the dinner hour before Ruth could get away again for a moment's rest. Her first inquiry was for Minta. She had not returned, nor had any message come from her. About these bare facts there was nothing of necessity to rouse anxiety. To Kate it had merely the air of an everyday occurrence. Mrs. Burnham was still in mourning attire. There had been no time to think of dress. Judge Burnham would not like this. It was one of the points on which he was fastidious to a fault. His wife wondered whether there would be time to make some changes before he came, and then he came. Mr. Satterley was with him, and Ruth noted that he looked worn and anxious. She wondered if he had heard of Seraph's illness, and if he really cared for her enough to be troubled. Judge Burnham did not even seem to notice the morning dress. "'Where is Minta?' were his first abrupt words, without even the ceremony of a bow. "'She has gone out,' trying to speak as usual. "'Gone out? Where?' I do not know. She went while I was otherwise engaged, and left no message for me. Kate says that she told her she might not return to luncheon. Engaged? Do you know what you are talking about? Is it possible you have let her disappear without any knowledge of her whereabouts? He had never spoken in this manner to his wife before. Ruth controlled her voice and her feelings. He was evidently either terribly angry or terribly alarmed. Judge Burnham, you forget, had I any right to control her movements or power to intercept them? Right, power, you do not know what you are saying. I tell you, you should have locked her in her room, if need be, rather than let her slip away. She interrupted him. 
Judge Burnham, you are speaking very loud and unnecessarily exciting the servants. I am expecting Minta every moment. You surely know it is nothing unusual for her to be late. Meantime, Seraph is very ill. At this information, Mr. Satterley gave a start of dismay. Seraph, he echoed, what is the matter? But Judge Burnham's excitement was not quieted. I cannot help it, he said irritably. Illness is the very least of our calamities. If the other one were sick with the smallpox even, we should have cause for thanksgiving. I tell you, I am afraid she has gone to destruction. The fellow has escaped us somehow, just when we thought we had the net securely laid. He received information from some source and has disappeared. When did Minta go? What did she take? At which point he turned abruptly and strode through the hall into the library. Ruth waited only to answer a few of Mr. Satterley's anxious questions, then followed her husband. He had gone to his dressing room. The exclamation which he gave, the moment he opened his toilet case, brought her to his side. He had a sealed letter in his hand, from which he tore the envelope savagely. Ruth looked over his shoulder as he read. Dear Papa, I was going to tell you something this morning, but you were in such haste and so savage that I hadn't opportunity. We had planned a lovely little surprise, Mr. Hamlin and I. We didn't tell anybody about it, save the necessary persons, just for the fun of the thing. We meant to have a very original entertainment connected with it as soon as you reached home. But you have quite spoiled our plans by your fierceness. And since I am a dutiful daughter, in spite of your insinuations this morning, and want to do my best to obey you, and since it is quite impossible for me to have no communication in any form with any person by the name of Hamlin, for the simple reason that that happens to be my own name, I will do the next best thing, at which you so kindly hinted, and take myself out of your house until such time as you may wish to see my husband and myself. If you really need proof of my statement, you might consult the Reverend Charles Stevens, rector of St. Stephen's, who lives at Southside near the Green Street Chapel, an obscure little place in which to be married, I admit, but the fun of the secrecy lay in obscurity. Your devoted daughter, Minta Burnham Hamlin. It was a hard blow. I am sure you will not be surprised that Judge Burnham felt it too in his very soul. He had not been a very watchful father, certainly, when his children were young. He had almost deserted them with a disposition that grew out of pure cowardice during the period of their disappointing girlhood. But he had not lavished time and attention and money on them for the last half-dozen years for nothing. As it began to dawn upon him that they were not only to be endured, but were actually subjects for congratulation, his interest in them deepened and, as the years went by, and they became objects of general admiration, you will remember his pride in, and ambition for them, knew no bounds. All the more this feeling seemed to sway him, because it came with the force of a discovery, after he had resigned himself to nothing but humiliation in connection with them. He did not name the feeling pride, and I have no doubt that affection had somewhat to do with it a great deal, perhaps, during these later years. One cannot lavish so much on any person without feeling, to say the least, a deepening interest in the person, and besides, the Burnham blood of which this man was so fond 
was certainly in their veins. Still it was his pride which had received a death-blow. It was bad enough to have the name of a man who proved to be not only a villain, but an unsuccessful one, mentioned in the daily papers in connection with his daughter. He had even thought, during this busy day, of making an effort to suppress the items which whenever he had a moment of leisure seemed to float before him. Such, for instance, as, It seems that young Hamlin spent the evening before the discovery in company with Miss Burnham, the youngest daughter of Judge Burnham of the firm of Burnham, Bacon & Company. Or, It is said that young Hamlin frequently enjoyed the hospitalities of Judge Burnham's elegant home, and presumed to be on friendly terms with his beautiful daughters, or any other of the dozen offensive ways of gossiping about such matters, which newspaper reporters seem so thoroughly to understand. He had thought for a few moments, quite seriously, of attempting to make it worth the while of these leading reporters to keep his daughter's name out of the accounts, but had finally abandoned the idea as beneath his dignity. After all, he said to himself, what does it matter? The fellow was intimate in dozens of leading families, and that he admired my daughter so much more than any of the others is not so unusual a thing as to cause surprise. I think I will let this part of the annoyance shape itself as it may. It will soon be forgotten. And he had worked the harder toward getting matters in train for the grand expose. And then had come that sudden discovery of flight, a flight accomplished so boldly and gracefully as to awaken no suspicion in the minds of any looker-on that more than an afternoon ride with the lady of his choice was being planned, and then had followed Judge Burnham's unspoken fears that the lady, about whom there seemed to be very contradictory accounts, might be his daughter, though he really did not believe that such a thing was possible. He believed that the young lady's pride would hold her back from such a step, and then had come the rush home to relieve what he told himself were perfectly groundless fears, that a man like that of course had intimacies with women of whose very names a daughter of his was ignorant. And then had come this final blow, in the shape of a half-comic, wholly heartless letter, with that name attached, Minta Burnham Hamlin. The unsullied Burnham name linked at last with that of a gambler and a forger, Certainly the father was to be pitied. A great deal of work had to be done in the next few days, much that Judge Burnham had labored hard all that first day to accomplish, he labored equally hard to prevent in the days immediately following. The man who was his daughter's husband, who had joined his name and story irrevocably to hers, was to be dealt with differently, if possible, from the one who had simply, under a mistaken idea of his character, been admitted to the house as a passing acquaintance. It was not that Judge Burnham felt any softening of heart, any pity for the daughter who had so wronged him. His efforts were not so much to shield her, as to keep the Burnham name as much away from the public as possible. Therefore he withdrew charges which he meant to push, and was silent where he had meant to speak plainly, and pay large sums of money to purchase the silence of others in regard to certain points. Therefore it was, that by dint of tremendous effort, not only on his part, but on the part of others, friends of young Hamlin, and by processes known to lawyers, this breaker of the laws escaped the verdict of justice, and was able to take up his abode in the same city where his evil deeds had largely been accomplished. 
This much settled, Judge Burnham took exceeding pains to have it understood that his motive for his share of the work had not been pity for the sinner, but pity for himself. That now he was quite through with the whole matter. Mrs. Hamlin was no longer to be considered as a daughter of his. He did not want to see her again, nor to hear of her in any way. She had chosen between them and must abide by the decision. He ordered certain trunks and boxes to be packed and sent by express to the boarding-house where the newly married couple were now staying, and with them sent a note, briefer than the one Minta had written, but in every sense of the word dignified, in which he had distinctly stated that from this time forth all communication between her and the family to which she had heretofore belonged was to cease, that he had done what he could to save her husband from the prison life which he so richly deserved, and that in doing this he had performed the last service for one who was once his daughter that she need ever expect at his hands. This was hard on the young scoundrel of a husband. He had not so reasoned it out when all these plans were formed in his mind. He had not known Judge Burnham in the days when his daughters were ignored and neglected. He had believed that the father's heart was inextricably wound about this beautiful daughter in particular, and that, after a few angry words, and a few tears and a few sobbing petitions on her part for forgiveness, she would be restored to her place again, and his falling fortunes be retrieved and set on a firm basis. He had meant that this should be done without other unpleasantness than would be necessarily involved in learning that there had been a private marriage. He had intended that the Burnham wealth should save him from a public exposure. It had been the lawyer's vigorous onslaught during that one day, which had brought about the end with a precipitancy entirely unnecessary. That Judge Burnham might have avoided all this publicity had been made only too plain by the speed with which he quieted the storm he had raised, the moment he found out that his own name must suffer, in only a secondary degree, whatever disgrace came to the name of Hamlin. It was all bitterness and weariness of soul, and Judge Burnham aged under it. Meantime, perhaps it was almost a relief to his angry spirit that Seraph continued very seriously ill, and that he had to put aside his bitter thoughts and hurt pride, and think of and help care for her in many ways. End of chapter 18 Recording by Tricia G.